0: Today's scripture comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing.
1: Loving your friends forever. And uh, so let's get into it today. Part one, persons are eternal. That's part one. Persons are eternal. Part two, friendship from your best friend. I want you to think about this. What is friendship from your best friend like? So part two, friendship from your best friend. And part three, the power of heavenly friendship. So that's this passage. I know that you think about this passage. Love is like this. Love is like that. And, you know, if we don't have love, then we're nothing. Very, very important words. But I want to challenge you today to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and think about your friends. Because this is what friendship should look like. It should look like this. Okay? So... Um, Let's get right into this text. Your persons are eternal. And uh, I want to just start with this thing. Um, Just the beginning. And when I preached on this before, I made a particularly powerful critique about how we're always looking for talents, accomplishments, and we care about this more than love. But I I want to say this a little bit differently today, but I want you to hear this again, all right? So, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I mean, you just like a lot of noise, right? If I have prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You know, I want to say it a little bit differently today. You know, um, I, I said that last time when we were looking at this passage, that our city is so filled with, like, if I don't get this degree, then I'm nothing. <laughs> if I don't get make this X amount of money, if I don't have some kind of accomplishment, here we're talking about spiritual powers and spiritual talents, even. And I guess we're so secular, we don't, we tend not to think about those kinds of things. But you know, we're always so constantly filled with. Something that we're trying to grasp after in the world, and then this is the stuff that's going to fill me up. This is what's going to make my life good. But what the Bible says is if you don't have love, you are nothing. (laughs) Let me say it a little bit differently. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have friends that I love, I'm a big fat noise. (laughs) How about that? All your talk, or your text, or we put on our social media, it's noise. It's a bunch of junk. How about I say it this way? If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, I have really great theology, I tithe all the time, I have great insight into the Bible. <laughs> I actually think I have pretty good insight into the Bible. I think some of you think I have pretty good insight into the Bible. That's why, you know, you want me to be your pastor. And you don't mind if I draw on up here a little bit. But if I don't have friends that I love, I am nothing. Nothing. How about that? Nothing. If if I give away all I have and I deliver, my body be burned. So if I do all kinds of great good works, if I make a lot of good money and I give a lot of money away. I was just reading about how um, the ex-wife of, uh, uh, you know, what's the Amazon guy? I, I forget her name, all right? Um, but, like, she just gave away, <laughs> the ex-wife of the richest man in the world just gave away $4.2 billion, with a B, billion dollars, all right? The Bible says if she is, doesn't do it for love, it's nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I want to point out something to you. Um, that the Bible says that we forget all the time. So the Bible is like a kingdom that's completely upside down toward the kingdoms of the way we think. We look at the kingdoms of the world, and whatever the world tells us, um, let me assure you, the values of whatever the world tells us, it's almost completely the opposite in God's way. That's what what some theologians mean when we say God is like an upside-down kingdom. The gospel inaugurates an upside-down kingdom. And one of the ways this is this is that we always look at what we got to get. Some riches, something that we have to accomplish and to fill up our life. My degree, my, my job, all these kinds of things, my accomplishments. And, and generally, people are expendable. And this is really strange, um, especially the people that we're supposed to love the most we tend to take our family members the most for granted. Some of you are pretty good at being friends, but from what I've observed in Silicon Valley, in our city, we're really bad at being friends. And um, so, here's one of the points I really want to make. I this really just just um, I remember reading this in *Mere Christianity* from C.S. Lewis. He, you know, he says this in, in 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 there's a portion there where he talks about that people are eternal. And as such, that means they're going to outlast everything else that you think matters. So, uh, your money. That person in your life that's really annoying to you is going to outlast the value of your money. Do you know, like, um, the person, the most significant person in your life is going to last longer than companies, going to last longer than nations, going to last longer than empires. That's the point that C.S. Lewis makes. And when God sees people, that's what he sees. He sees people, he sees persons made in his image with an infinite worth that are going to last forever. And so the, the real question is, is their destiny going to be glorious and beautiful, redeemed with him, filled with his life, Or they're going to be dead, and dead doesn't mean they're gone. Dead means they are like a cave, and like something, just like a cave, a shadow, a fraction of what they were as they are condemned and separated from God in hell forever and ever. That's what he means. And so, we have a friend. So we tend to think like, well, my company... Let's just like, you know, Well, let's say you work for Google or Facebook or, or Apple, as some of you do. <laughs> and these are the most famous, among the most profitable, and actually among the most powerful companies in the world. They are like, they're like empires. The modern-day empire are, are corporations. And they are actually richer than whole empires that have actually been on this planet. It's really crazy to think that. Like you go to this office in Mountain View or in Cupertino, and this company is like an empire that made more money than like the Greco-Roman Empire did in like this period or something like that. It's crazy. But you know what? The Roman Empire is gone. I want to just place this before you. Your boss or someone who's so important at Apple, or just name your company, Whatever it is that's going on in there, it's not going to be that important soon. <laughs> let me even push this even farther. We care a lot about politics in our country, especially now. And there's a lot of anger about it. Okay? Let me, let me say this to you. The Democratic Party is going to be dead soon. <laughs> the Republican Party will be dead soon. And America will be no more. So whatever the heck we're fighting about won't matter 100 years from now, or 500 years from now. But your friend whom you're stumbling, your friend whom you're ignoring, will still be around. Hmm. Think about that. You think about that. Hmm. And we think about one of the most important ways that that, that you can show where your values are today is not where you put your money. It's really where you put your time. We're very much kind of like, I want to tell you a kind of a strange paradox of, of of living all the time. The present, this exact moment, the present is where we are connected to eternity. So in one sense, the present is supremely important. But on the other hand, the present, don't be enslaved by the present. It's really strange. We, we often can be very enslaved by the present. Whatever the world is screaming at us, it's so important. It's so important. This morning I was checking my fantasy football <laughs> update. And I found out that one of my players isn't playing today. And I said, I'm going to get a zero from that guy. Zero. And I got mad for about 30 seconds. <laughs> no, like about a few years ago, I was less sanctified. I would have been mad for like the next hour. Okay, but now I got met for about 30 seconds because it doesn't matter, okay? It's fun, and if I lose this week because of something dumb like that, it doesn't really matter. But for some reason, I don't know why, but because I like football, and then I I like something that's even less important than football, fantasy, you know, it's called fantasy, fantasy. (laughs) And yet, there are guys, especially like me, Man, we get really worked up about fa- fantasy. <laughs> okay? It's called fantasy. Fantasy. Football. Not football, but fantasy. The, the, the operative word is fantasy. Right? And we get really worked up about the present day fantasy. Well, the reason I want to just mention that to you is a lot of things that we think are so important is a lot closer to fantasy. But your friends... if they're fearful or if they're hurting their souls, that's reality. And their soul is going to last forever. Will you be their friend? That 30 minutes you give, that one hour you give, it matters. Oh, it matters. Right? Um, so, I want to just point out this little thing here. I started off in this first message saying, how do you get more friends? How do you get more friends? And the operative thing I wanted to teach you was be a friend. Hmm. I actually think it doesn't seem like, it sounds almost so easy that you think about all the things going on in your life. Okay, I got to make money. There's like entertainment to be like attended to. There's like decisions about how to grow the money. Vacations to go to, uh, things I'm going to accomplish in my work, things I'm going to accomplish in my fantasy football, (laughs) right? But how about, and then somewhere in there, it just seems like one of many things. Go be a friend, go have friends, go love your friend. And for a lot of us, we just kind of take it for granted Somebody else is nice to me, and it's enjoyable to hang out with him or her. And if you have someone in your life like that, then you just take them for granted. And just, you know, especially if you're the one, I mean, I don't want want to be overly mean about this, but in almost every friendship, there's one that does more work. (laughs) There's one that does the calling up. There's one that will pursue you. There's one that will check up on you. And it's, not, it's, it's rarely I- even. One does it 70% of the time, and the other percent is more often the recipient. Most of us, that's kind of like the friendships we like. <laughs> the other person is being your friend, and you get to be the recipient. But I want to challenge you to do the, go the other way. <laughs> you be the friend who gives. And you be the one who gives to that person and they will then actually then go, this person is an incredible friend. How about that? So, I want to talk about one thing now that, you know, we're in. So this week, GLF start. So in our church, small group is called Gospel Life Families. And um, I'm not getting on anybody in particular so don't think i'm targeting you okay so I, i'm just hearing through the grapevine i'm hearing at, at, at a staff meeting that like there's a lot of people who are like oh, no, you know like about showing up and, and and gathering together and meeting together and one of the reasons why we're having this series especially in this season coming out of pandemic is a lot of us me too all right. We get so used to not talking to our friends, not going to see our friends, not being there for our friends, or thinking, I'll just show up on my phone, I'll just show up on Zoom. But I don't know about you, but I don't want a Zoom friend. (laughs) Do you want your friends to be Zoom friends? I'll bet you 10 out of 10 people in this church want an in-person friend. You want a person who will say, yeah, I worked out my schedule. I drove across town to hang out with you (laughs) because I care about you. I want to be around you. I want to be the one to give to you, give you my time, give you my concern, give you my laughter, maybe even give you a little bit of a gentle rebuke because you're just getting a little too caught up in politics, right? Something like that. And then, of course, I want to give you Jesus in me. Isn't that the kind of friend you want? That's the friends I want. I bet you you all want that. So, I know I'm I'm pushing the button here a little here, but the series is on friendship. You know what GLF is? It's intentional friendship. That's that's it. That's what it is. (laughs) It's let's be friends to my friends. Brothers and sisters who are going to be my friends forever. (laughs) So present is where it's connected to eternity. So in the present, let's do what's going to be amazing in eternity. You know, when we get to heaven, those of you who know Jesus, and you're living in eternity, how you did, what movie you watched yesterday, how much money you have... What sale you got that great dress on? You know, nobody's going to care. You're probably not even going to care about that, like, next year. And you're definitely not going to care about that in heaven. But you know what everybody's going to think is wonderful in eternity? Who loved whom? Who loved whom? Everybody's going to know this. You have this friend that really... They were your friend and you weren't much a friend. That's for, everybody's going to know that. Okay? You're like, you're this friend. and, you're, and, you're, and you're, We go around through fantasy, which we call real life, and we go like, this person's my friend, but actually they are your friend because they're your friend, but you're not much of a friend of them. That's how it is for, for lots of us. Hey, I'm a pastor and I love a lot of people, but I've got a few friends that I regularly know this guy's carrying it, the load. Right? This guy's carrying the load. When we get to heaven, everybody's going to know that this brother, I, I'm thinking of a particular, but I won't say his name, that he was the friend to me. <laughs> and I was kind of like, <laughs> I, was the, I was the drag on the relationship. Right? So how about something like a regular layup? Let's not neglect to meet together and be each other's friend. In and for and through Jesus, the best kind of friendship. Okay, let's go to part two. Um, I want to I want to talk to you about. I want to ask you to just think a little bit right now. Imagine in your mind who is your best friend. Okay. You know, if you don't have an exact best best friend, maybe you got two or three. Great, I'm glad you have. You have, so, so you have more than one, so that's actually difficult for you to nail down whoever you think is your best friend, okay? So now think about your best friend, and think about how this person cares about you, how this person habitually, regularly offers you, well, hopefully, the best that they got. They offer you their, not just their time or their energy or their money. They offer you themselves. So, just think a little bit about that. Just just give that a little thought. And then I want you to listen to this passage, all right? This is verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now let me ask you this. So put your friend's name in here. Put your friend's name in here. I'm just gonna, I'll just pick a name, all right? Jill. Jill is patient. She is kind to me. She's not envious, she doesn't boast, she's not arrogant or rude, certainly not to me. Jill does not insist on her own way. She is not irritable or resentful. She doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. If I do something bad, she calls me out. If I start like celebrating something that's a lie, she's like, mm, I don't know about that. She bears all my crap. Love bears all things. Jill bears all things. When I'm happy and when I'm sad. When I'm good when I really stink like a turd. She bears it. She has hope for me. She endures all these things. And she continues to love me. You see it? Oh, this passage is about friendship. It's about friendship. Now, let me ask you this. Don't you wish you had more friends like that? Don't you think everybody around you wish they had a friend like that? And let me ask you this. Might you take just one step to grow? Because Martin Luther said it this way, all of life is repentance. Do you want to know what growing in Christ looks like? It's repentance. So maybe we could become more patient and kind or envious or boasting. (laughs) There's these, um, I remember reading years ago, I forget the name of the author, and it was talking about, how friendships are kind of like, they're never entirely equal. And sometimes one friend likes the other friend because this friend is smarter than this friend. This girl likes this girl because she's prettier than this girl. So their friendship is built on the fact that the uglier girl is envious of the prettier girl. And the friendship is actually built on the prettier girl feeling superior and having the boast that yeah you know we we just know I'm prettier than you right and that's what the friendship is built on it's built on i'm not as pretty as her because she's like the prettiest girl in school or she's like the hottest you know woman at work but we're friends and i'm prettier than you but how about If we would repent this way, that if you would not be envious or have a boast or patient and kind, pick some spot in there and maybe you could think about one or two relationships that you have. Maybe you could take a a friendship that you think is kind of mediocre. Maybe you could take a, a relationship at work that's not even much of a friendship at all and say to this person, I will choose kindness. I don't like this person because this person is smarter than me and regularly lets me know it. But instead of resentment, because that's what it says here, love's not resentful, and instead of envy, I will show kindness. I will hope in this person. I will forgive this person. How about that? Think of the friendship that you receive and the love you receive from your best friend and try to offer something a little bit more like that to someone else in your life. And if you do that for your brother and sister in GLF, it's with God and the Holy Spirit. That's even better. Now let let me pull the chair away a little bit. Whoever you thought was your best friend, you're wrong. (laughs) If you believe in Jesus, whoever you thought was your best friend is not your best friend. (laughs) Because let me show you the passage differently. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude to you. Jesus does not insist on his own way. It's interesting. He wants his own way. But you know what he wants his own way for? For you. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And it's funny. Jesus is Lord, but he will not lord it over you. He, won't, he will say, let me be your friend. Will you follow me as Lord? And you can find out how much of a friend I am to you. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Some of you, when you pray, do you have a picture of Jesus in your mind? Do you have a picture of Jesus in your mind? I bet you you do. Okay? Your picture, let me tell you this point. If he looks irritable and resentful to you, that's false. It's <laughs> false. It's false that picture of Jesus that you have in your mind, that's probably why you don't pray. That's probably why you don't come to him. That's probably why you don't want to come to his word. Because when you come to his word, you have this picture of Jesus in your mind, and you mostly think, well, I'm a kind of a pretty C-minus Christian, and last week I slipped into D-minus territory. And Jesus is like, "Uh." I don't think that's what he's like. I don't think that's what he's like. The Son of God came to be our friend. And then he paid for all our sin on the cross. So that he could have hope for you. So that he could see how glorious you're going to be. So that he could bear all things. And be patient, not just today, not just tomorrow. He'll be patient and kind and generous and good forever to you. So he can be that way all the time. So he can be that way unending. We call this, the Old Testament calls it, the steadfast love of the Lord. Let me put it this way. How about... The way your best friend Jesus treats you. How your best friend Jesus sees you. This is the gospel. You know, there's this seemingly simple thing. It becomes this like dead, hopefully it's not dead in our church, but it's a habituated thing. Jesus loves me, this I know, Bible tells me so. He bled on the cross, paid for my sin. Thus I'm forgiven. Let me tell it to you this way. Because you're forgiven, he's always your friend. He's never irritated. He's always patient. He's always kind. It'll never go away. And if you see Jesus like this, you're seeing him in the true way. That's your best friend. (laughs) That's your best friend. And when all your other friends fail you, not if, when, when your husband's not too good, when your wife is really, really cranky, when your best friend, Jill, Bob, you name him or her, is not there for you, why don't you think about going to the real best friend? Jesus, he will never let you down. He'll never be irritated. He has forgiven you. Do you know that if you go before God and you commit all kinds of horrible sins, that when God looks at you, he'll say, what are you talking about? He's like, I, I know I, I, I'm, I'm so crappy. I'm so sucky. And I never show up. I'm so bad. And you know he'll say? I don't know what you're talking about. Because isn't Jesus your friend? Isn't my son your friend? And last I checked, all oh, your sins are gone. They're all gone. And he was your friend. So now, since he's your friend... I'll be your friend. Even better, I'll be your father. That's the gospel. And if you have a friend like that, and as you spend your life treating other people with that kind of friendship, you will be preparing for the most glorious eternity there could possibly be. You'll be making yourself, this is, what, this is the way um, C.S. Lewis puts it, he's like, some of us make ourselves fit for heaven. Some of ourselves make ourselves fit for hell. All the values of the world and how we look at all these talents and all these other things, we're actually making ourselves fit for hell because we don't care about people. We care about using people. Our friendships are transactional. You know what transactional friendships are? Not friendships. <laughs> transactional friendships are using people, not loving them. And I bet you none of you wish to be somebody's transaction. You want someone to love you, to bear all things, where love, real love, never ends. That's friendship. And Jesus has given you that friendship, and he will keep giving you that friendship. And if you receive of that and draw of that and believe in that, and then say, I'm not good at this. Boy, am I not good at this. I'm so regularly filled up with my soul curved in on myself. It's always about me, but in this next month, in this next six months, maybe... Jesus' friendship could be more real to me. And I have a desperate need to go be somebody's friend. Something more like the way he's my friend. Can I challenge you for that? And if I challenge you in this, and I, I dare you, take the next six months and say, I'm going to make my friendships more important than this. Whatever this thing that normally preoccupies you the thing that makes you normally more selfish, and you always like, okay, i got, I got to run my perfect parent playbook. I'm not saying be a bad parent, okay? So don't go around saying that. But you should not be a perfect parent. <laughs> because you're not, <laughs> okay? Why don't you be a good parent and be an even better parent by being a good friend And showing your kids, I love people something like the way Jesus loves me. And that would be a great thing to offer your kids. So if you do this for the next six months and ask Jesus to walk you in it, I dare you to do it. If you do it, you'll see something, I think, very, very precious. God will show you something amazing. I'm going to close the message Part three is called The Power of Heavenly Friendship. And the way I want to close this is I want to read a portion of a book, a beautiful portion of a book that I, I, I recently finished. The book is called Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreher. D R E H E R. Rod Dreher. Live Not by Lies. And he wrote this book because he just thinks our culture is just like just going right down to the sewer. And we are falling prey to what he calls soft totalitarianism in our culture. So what he did was he went around and he talked to people who lived in totalitarian societies. Russia, you know, former Russian, you know, Russia communism, Romania, you know, today we could, you know, it's like the Czech Republic, but it wasn't a republic back then. It's called Czechoslovakia. So he talked to a lot of such people to find out what it was like and what we can learn so that we wouldn't just fall prey and it's it wasn't just about politics okay the reason these countries became nightmare totalitarian places filled with monstrously horrible evil was because they became so bereft of god and of truth and of christ and so and then of friendship and of loneliness And sexual depravity. I mean, like, he just lays all this stuff out. It's crazy. When he describes how horrible pre-communist Russia was, it sounds like us. It's really awful. But toward the end of the book, he tells a story in a chapter called The Gift of of Suffering. And I want to read this passage and we'll close out this message, okay? So he talks about a guy named George Calciou. And George a is a is an Eastern Orthodox priest. I mean, he's a pastor in a different Christian tradition called, you know, Eastern Orthodoxy. All right? And this guy was in prison. Um, he was in prison in a former communist country during that period. And so, here's how it goes. George Calciou was a, is an Orthodox Christian, and he was a medical student who was eventually ordained a priest. In 1985, he was sent into exile in the United States where he served at a Northern Virginia parish until his death in 2006. So we're not talking about like 100 years ago, okay? He Died not that long ago. In a lengthy 1996 interview, Father George talked about his encounter with a fellow prisoner named Constantine Operzan. That's his name. Constantine Operzan. They met when Calcio was transferred from Petesti to Jalada, a prison that was built entirely underground. Now, Petesti, I won't get into details, but Petesti sounds like one of the most horrific places on the face of the earth. They did unspeakably evil things, like they would lay out a cross and put a, a priest or a pastor on it and beat the heck out of him while they defecated on him and peed on him to torture him and humiliate him. That's the kind of thing they did at Petesti. So, Constantino Prezan was in that prison and then was transferred to this also horrible prison, just not quite as horrible, okay? It was like the worst place in hell to the somewhat less place in hell. So, um, the communists put four prisoners in each cell in his cell was Oprison. So George Calcio is in this cell. They put Oprison in the cell. Oprison was deathly ill with tuberculosis. Some of you are afraid of getting COVID today. Look, COVID probably won't kill you. But tuberculosis probably will kill you. And if you are in a little cell with someone who has tuberculosis, you are going to get it. The chances are very, very good you're going to get it. So this is the situation. From their first day in captivity there, Oprison coughed up fluid in his lungs. That means he has it really bad. The man was suffocating. Perhaps a whole liter of phlegm and blood came up and my stomach became upset. Remember, he's a doctor. He's trained to be a doctor. I was ready to vomit. Constantine Oprison noticed this and said to me, forgive me. Forgive me for spewing all this stuff in your presence. I was so ashamed. Since I was a student in medicine, I decided then to take care of him and told the others that I would take care of Constantine. He was not able to move, and I did everything for him. I put him on the bucket to urinate. I washed his body. I fed him. We had a bowl for food. I took this bowl and put it in front of his mouth. Constantine Operzon, he was like a saint, Father George said. He was so weak that he could barely talk. But every word he said to his cellmates was about Christ hearing him say his daily prayers had a profound effect on the three other men, as did simply looking at the flood of love in his face. So you start the story, and you think George counsel you is going to be the hero because he's doing for this guy and probably going to receive disease, this man who's so broken, and he did it out of guilt simply because well, I'm going to be a doctor, so I should do this, shouldn't I? But actually, the real friend in the room wasn't George Calciu, it was Constantine Opreson. There's a flood of love on his face, and he said his prayers every day. These three other men locked up with him. Constantine Oprison was a physical wreck because he had been so badly tortured in Petesti for three years. Yet he would not curse his torturers and spent his days in prayer. All the while, we did not realize how important Constantine Oprison was for us. He was the justification of our life in this cell. Over the course of a year, he became weaker and weaker we felt that, we had finished his, that that he had finished his time here and would die. After he died, every one of us felt that something in us had died. We understood that sick as he was and in our care, like a child, he had been the pillar of our life in the cell. Isn't that incredible? He was a mangled mess. He had been tortured in unimaginably, unspeakably horrific ways. And he was like coughing up blood and phlegm because tuberculosis is a respiratory disease. And yet, he was their friend <laughs> through Christ. When I took care of Constantine Oprison in the cell, this is George Calciu, listen to this part. I was very happy. I, I highlighted this. When I took care of Constantine Oprison in the cell, I was very happy. I was very happy because I felt his spiritual life penetrating my soul like the life of God, the life of Christ. The friendship of Christ to him was coming out in his friendship to me. I learned from him to be good, to forgive, not to curse your torture, not to consider anything of this world to be a treasure for you. In fact, he was living on another level. Only his body was with us. And his love can you imagine we were in a cell without windows without air humid and filthy yet we had moments of happiness that we never reached in freedom I cannot explain it you believe George Calthew the man was in hell but he had a friendship which let him taste heaven. (laughs) That friendship started in Jesus. And that friendship was passed on to him. And it was so profound (laughs) later on, he became a pastor. So I want to just give you, there is an explanation. This is what happens in ways big or small when you are loved by Jesus. When he is the best friend, your best friend, And indwells you. And his spirit will go forth when you love others as your friends. For first having received him. And may you give them little pieces of happiness and joy and hope. It's more than the world can give. You may not know it. You may not think they get it. You may not think that they care. But if you have Jesus in you and you look upon his friendship, and you give that to somebody else, you you and I will be walking in the steps of Constantine Oprison. And no matter how painful, how pressured, how depressed, or somebody is in the prison of Silicon Valley, you will be giving them a little piece of heaven and making yourself fit for heaven. Through the friendship of Jesus. Can you believe that? Revive church, let's be like that. Let's be like that for each other. Let's be like that for our friends. Even if they don't care. Even if they don't get it. And if we do, our best friend Jesus, oh man, I think he'll be so pleased. In the spirit we poured out on us and we'll taste something like heavenly friendship in this church, in this time and place. Let's pray. Father, we are far from Constantine Oprison. We're, we're probably not even as good as George Calciou. And yet, when we receive this call when we first receive this grace that you have loved us and you are our best friend and your love never ends and you have borne all things and you will bear all things because you have made us your friend forever and you will love us forever and you will never give up on us, you will never quote unquote use us but only bless us. And help us to see people like this, like the way you see. Help us to see people the way you see me, the way you see us. And help us to be friends, something more like that. And I pray that over the next six months, that to everybody who received today's challenge, you will pour out a double, triple, amazing things, gifts of your Holy Spirit. And we'll be inflamed with the beauty and the glory of heaven through the friendship of Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.